Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're excited you're here, and we hope today's message encourages you, builds your faith, and brings you hope for the future. May God bless you as you listen in to today's message. Hey, I want to say we are privileged today, uh, and I say privileged because I'm humbled when I say this. Uh, My son is uh, honored, man, he just blessed beyond pleasure, and he travels seriously when I tell you this. We were able to get him to come and speak to our congregation because he travels literally around the world. And he travels all over, and this is why we chose this date for our grand opening, because he's not traveling, and he traveled here. And I'm excited to have our son. Uh, He started with us as youth pastor 12 years ago, 12 years ago at at our first church there in Prior Lake. And then when when our church grew, we started campus churches, and then he took one of our campus churches out in Glencoe. And then from Glencoe, he moved back into the main campus where I was and became my lead pastor or associate pastor. And then from there, he went on to Oklahoma. And then from Oklahoma, he came back here, and now he has his own church. And from that, now he's become an author. He's also got his doctorate degree, and he's going after it. And I'm going to tell you, I want to just put your hands together, and let's welcome my son, CJ, our son, CJ. If you like, after service, my parents will be giving out my social security number in the hallway. <laughs> any, any biased parents in the room? Uh, I'm pretty biased as well. Uh, just bring your expectations down about 11 notches. Bring them, bring them here, amen. And uh, we are excited to be here. And uh, it is an honor to be a part of what God is doing here at your guys' church. And I, I always, you know, consider, hey, what is my assignment coming in? Um, what is kind of the the goal of the day, right? What's the target and can I hit it? And as I was kind of praying over today, one of the things I really felt uh, God putting on my heart was to to bring some self-awareness. Anyone know someone who lacks self-awareness? Anyone, anyone? If you don't, you might be that person. Uh, But I really do feel pressed to maybe bring you as a church uh, some self-awareness, that what you think is normal, it's not normal. Uh, that maybe you need to go on a church appreciation tour uh, to realize what God is doing here isn't happening everywhere. And uh, that is remarkable. And especially in the year that we as a world went through together, right? I get to, uh, get to coach and spend time with uh, pastors all around the country. And you guys are actually the only church that I'm aware of that was ripping at the seams, reaching 30 to 40% of your community and purchasing a building, one of the biggest buildings in your community, on the main intersection in your community in 2020. Like, who does that? Uh, Nobody that I know of other than you guys. What I also love is you guys have this pattern of 100% votes. Uh, In a time where division seems to be the theme Uh, The supernatural unity that is on this house is something to be cherished and celebrated. Amen. And so I I celebrate you and I I pray that you find yourself with some joy in your heart. uh, Just a a passion to praise God for all that he's doing in and through this church. Because I believe um, every blessing that doesn't turn back to praise has the potential to turn into pride. And I think God is looking for people who can steward his glory. 
looking for people who aren't, you know, craving the credit, but say God continues showing off in and through our lives. And, and that is certainly the case here. And I just feel like I should throw caution to the wind uh, to whom much is given, much is required. Amen. And for whatever reason, God trusts you guys as a church greatly and uh, make the most of it, church. Amen. Amen. Uh, as my parents said, uh, married with four kids, uh, 11, 9, 8, and 3. Uh, anyone else have a surprise in your family? That's what you get for going home for lunch on a Tuesday. Some of you won't get that joke until lunch on Tuesday. Uh, but... Uh, not that I love kids that much, but I do love my wife that much. And in every marriage, there is a settler and a reacher. And no one ever guesses which one I am, right? I was praying for a Nissan, and God gave me a Corvette. I think my wife was praying for an F-150, and God gave her a moped. Uh, but together, we are, we're figuring it out, and we're loving life. And uh, we live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which up until... Uh, 2020 was an encouraging thing to say. You tell, hey, we live in Minneapolis. People are like, that's great. Now you say it, and people have like triggers. Like, wait a second. What is that like, right? Apparently, Rock Bottom has a basement. <laughs> and uh, 2020 was a doozy. Anyone else feel like we were playing the game Jumanji? Like, is this, is this happening uh, among us, right? I felt like I was being grounded when COVID hit. Uh, for all the things I didn't get caught doing as a teenager, right? All of, our, all of our plans were canceled. Vacations were canceled. Chris and I decided to take our kids on a trip from Lost Living Room to Porta Backyarda. Like, we, we just have to go, go somewhere. Um, but how many of you guys know it could be worse? It, it could be worse. Our grandparents, they were sent off to war. We were sent home to our couches, it could be worse, and uh, I'm just thankful because even in what seems to be the worst of times, uh, God has this ability of bringing out the best in us. You ever found that, that pressure is more honest than pleasure? Maybe you discover some things in you, discover some things in some people in 2020 and early into 2021. Pressure is more honest than pleasure. And I think sometimes God will use our circumstances as a tool to extract some things in us also that he can continue to accomplish the great things that he has planned for us. Amen. And so my prayer today is to kind of encourage someone in the room, if not every person in the room, to lean into the possibilities of what does God have next for your life? How are you growing in your faith? And I, I need you to announce the title of my sermon to your neighbor, and that is Grow Up. Look at your neighbor and say, Grow Up, which I feel like I just did somebody a favor. You've been wanting to say it. The preacher just gave you license to do so. Grow Up. Have you ever found that growing up is difficult? I find in this season of life, uh, I'm discovering muscles I didn't know I had. And it's not because I'm getting stronger. It's because I'm getting sore. Like I'm hurting in places I've never hurt before. Growing up is tough, and now I have kids who are able to reflect back my experience to me. They're able to give commentary on the things I went through. So recently we had a birthday, and one of the questions the kids asked Kristen and I is they said, Mom and Dad... When you were kids, what were some of the things you wished for for your birthday? 
So we went down memory lane trying to think through what were some of the iconic gifts on the list. For me, top of the list was a Sony Walkman. Come on, if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s, Sony Walkman. And I had one of the early editions that only came with the rewind button, not the fast forward button. So in order to get to where you wanted to go, you had to eject the tape, turn it around, put it back in, hit the rewind button, eject it, turn around, put it back in, hoping to be somewhere near the beginning of the song. Because up until CDs, when we had cassette tapes, you really not to, never got to start the song at the beginning. You would land somewhere in the first verse, right? And then Sony came out with a Walkman that played CDs, right? Like mind blown, which I know you're thinking, what is a CD, right? This is lost on your generation. And, uh, and so they got a CD, and so I'm telling the kids that had shock absorption, and my, my daughter goes, so was it waterproof? I said, no, it's not waterproof. My son said, well, how about Wi-Fi? Did it have Wi-Fi? I said, no, it didn't have Wi-Fi. Then my third son, a seven-year-old, because this is now what seven-year-olds ask. said, how about Bluetooth, Dad? Did it have Bluetooth? <laughs> no, they asked me if it had apps. I'm starting to get frustrated. To which my daughter then said, I don't get it. What was the point? <laughs> I said, listen, in the 90s, you could walk and listen to music at the same time. <laughs> I, and, and it was like a big contraption. You'd be circling the cul-de-sac carrying like a salad plate, but you felt like the coolest kid in school, right? <laughs> carrying a Sony Walkman. And then one of my kids said, they're like, Dad, tell us what else it was like in the 1900s. <laughs> so I made them pull weeds all afternoon. <laughs> I was offended, and as the saying goes, hurting people, they hurt people. <laughs> Growing up is tough, right? It's tough physically. It's sometimes tough relationally. I certainly know that growing up is also tough spiritually. I find that as a pastor, I get a front row seat to a lot of people in their journey with Christ. And I find that a lot of people are confused about what this life with Christ is supposed to look like. A lot of people don't have a proper understanding as to how do I grow up in my faith, right? How do I mature spiritually. And this is going to be a lot of information, may come with a, a mind cramp for some, uh, but it'll serve you well, I believe, if you can retain it. Your <clears throat> life in faith breaks down into three stages. And the first stage is justification. Justification means freedom from the penalty of sin. That I, I, I hear critics all the time critique our faith, I once had a buddy, it's, oh my, thank you, young sir. I um, had a critic once say, you know, I just can't get on board with this Christianity thing. I just can't serve a God who sends people to hell. I'm saying, well, great, neither can I. My God doesn't send people to hell. We booked our own ticket. My God saves people for heaven. And there's a catastrophic difference between a God who sends people to hell and the God who saves people for heaven. Our God, by the blood of Jesus Christ and the, the redemption offered to us through Christ on the cross, we are saved and redeemed. That is remarkable. We are justified. 
Which the word justified, I believe, is a bit of a redneck word. Anyone use redneck words? Like mayonnaise is a redneck word. Like you can look around and say, man, there's a lot of people in here today. It's a redneck word. Justified is a redneck word. What I mean by that is when you and I place our faith in Jesus, the Bible says we are now in Christ. The same way we are in this building. So when people drive by and they look in our direction, they don't see us. They see the building because we're in the building. You tracking with me? For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we are in Christ. Meaning when God looks at you and God looks at me, he views me justified, never sinned. Justified. He sees the perfection and the righteousness of Christ on my life. And on your life, that is remarkable that you and I have been justified, freed from the penalty of sin. That God somehow in his brilliance, God somehow in his brilliance on the cross punished sin, yet preserved the sinner. Jesus in his brilliance takes two pieces of wood in the form of a cross and he bridges the gap between us and our heavenly father. It it truly is Remarkable, and I feel like maybe on the front end I should address the elephant in the room because I find that as a pastor I get to observe Christians often. In the same way you get to see me, I get to see you. And I think we are, we are pretty funny people at times. There is now this seed of thought within our community of faith that people have this growing disdain for any conversations regarding sin, but they still want to celebrate grace. In church, where there is no sin, there's no need for grace. And until you recognize that the cross was done by you, you'll never be able to recognize all that the cross has done for you. Until you take your ownership and your guilt in the cross, you can never take your share of its grace. And I personally would rather my sin come with conviction then my sin become a condition. It's not God trying to be hard on us. But you should know that God is hard on the things that are hard on us. God looks at things like, I don't like it. It's tormenting my kids. It's ruining their marriage. It's robbing them of their joy. It's killing their potential. God is hard on the things that are hard on us. And what you find in life is over time, you discover God's boundaries for your life are God's blessings. For your life, that you are justified, freed from the, the penalty of sin. And then that triggers the next stage, which is sanctification, freedom from the power of sin. That over time, you outgrow the things that used to trip you up. And I think this confuses some folks because some of you, well, you became a Christian because maybe just maybe you were sold a lie. And the lie was this, give your life to Christ and you'll wake up tomorrow and all your problems will be gone. Your spouse will think you're more attractive than you are. You will wake up to an angel in the corner playing the harp. They will bring you slippers. You'll come down the stairs. Your kids will be huddled up in the living room, reading their Bibles and praying together. You'll log into your bank account. You'll have more money than you ever thought you'd ever have, right? Life will be perfect. Some were promised a fairy tale. 
Then you give your life to Christ and you discover it's not a fairy tale. It's nothing like you see in the Disney movies. If anything, it's like Jurassic Park. <laughs> Frightening at some times. It comes with some adrenaline, some exhilaration. At times you're, you're concerned, there's some uncertainty, but you get to the end of it and you're like, that was amazing. I think that's what a life of faith is. That you, you begin to take on the, the character, the likeliness, and the conduct of Christ. And it doesn't happen immediately, but gradually. You should know that though faith may not improve things immediately, I believe a lack of faith will impair things gradually. And it's just saying, God, I recognize my need for your work in my life. Sin will take me farther than I want to go. It'll cost me more than I want to pay. And it'll keep me longer than I want to stay. But God, I know that with you, I can overcome those things. Your grace, it's sufficient. Meaning your grace is enough. Now there's a distinction there. God's grace is sufficient, but it's not efficient. In other words, God's not in a rush with you. God is not in a hurry, and he's not trying to get you off of his to-do list so he could delegate you to some angel. No, God is intimately devoted and attentive to your life. And church, he's loving this season that he has with you. You should know that sometimes we, we fall into bizarre logic in the, the church world. And we almost try to create or turn churches into spiritual microwaves. That rush a, a person's spiritual maturity. Every single one of us is at different points on the spectrum. And no one in the room knows all that there is to know about God. And it's just giving each other grace along the journey, right? That God's not in a rush, so we're not in a rush. So none of us need to take on a pressure that is unnecessary. You don't need to know everything to believe in something. You don't need to know music theory to enjoy a good song. You don't need to have a culinary degree to enjoy a good meal. And you don't need to be able to fully explain the grace of God in order for his love to radically change your life. That the entry exam into heaven is not a litmus test. It's a blood test. I mean, it is, it is this fact that you and I are in because God got on the inside with us. Don't you love it that our Savior gets on the inside with outsiders? Amen. That our Savior was willing to be looked down upon in order to lift others up? It is outstanding. And so sanctification is recognizing the moment I give my life to Christ, I embark on a journey that will take the rest of my life. Sanctification will take the rest of your life. Church, if you're not dead, God's not done. And God is more concerned with the strength of your growth than he is with the speed of your growth. He's more concerned with the strength of your growth than he is the speed of your growth. Has me thinking about my daughter, Presley. She just turned three. And I am loving, I'm loving having a three-year-old. I just find that this is such a, a precious and wonderful season. And I find myself at times thinking about what is life going to be like as she grows up? And, and I'm excited to see her play sports. And 
I'm excited to see her, you know, thrive through school and at some point get a degree and launch into a career. All those things. I look forward to seeing all God has in store for my daughter. But I'm loving. I'm loving this season of life with her. I find myself praying, God, would you just slow down the hands of time? Because any parent knows this. The days are long, but the years are short. At times it feels like you're just pushing through another day and you're exhausted, but then you blink in two, three, four. The, the days are long and the years are short. And it's waking up to the reality that at some point you pick up your kid and then you put them down and you never pick them up again. Which I have a feeling we're going to walk out into the lobby and someone's going to be carrying their 27-year-old like, this is my baby. <laughs> I miss holding them, right? I'm not ready for my daughter to outgrow that for me right now. I'm loving this season that I have with her. I say all that to say, God, your heavenly father, is loving the season that he has with you. He is enjoying and he treasures this moment with you. And would you stop rushing, stop forcing, and would you just enjoy the journey with Christ? Tragically, a lot of people show up to church and they settle for advice and they forfeit the adventure. Which, I mean, your church has to get this right. Your name is Adventure Church. <laughs> it's like when churches argue over theological things, like, you know, baptisms would be one. I'm like, the Baptists have to get it right. It's in their name, right? <laughs> Baptists, like, you guys are Adventure Church. You get the adventure idea. It's showing up to church and not settling for enough Jesus to be informed, but really embracing enough Jesus to be transformed. That's sanctification, freedom from the power of sin. And then that brings us to glorification, which I told you, it's a lot of information. And glorification is freedom from the presence of sin. That every single one of us at some point meets our maker. We step into eternity where there is no sickness, no disease, no wickedness, right? Every tear will be wiped from our eyes and we get to spend the rest of eternity in perfection and harmony with our Heavenly Father. That's what you can expect in your life of faith. Justification and glorification, they happen in a moment. Sanctification will take the rest of your life. Justification, glorification, well, God does those for you. Sanctification, you do with God. And it's just, it's buying into the process. Someone who had a good understanding of this was a man by the name of, of Peter in the Bible. Any fans of Peter? If you don't know Peter, you should get to know Peter. He is that friend that makes everybody else feel better about themselves. Like he's like one of those celebrity gossip magazines. There's something about someone else's failure that gives the American culture just a boost of confidence. Peter was that guy, made countless mistakes, was foolish at times, miscalculated. Oftentimes, he put his foot in his mouth. One time, he tried to correct Jesus, which, side note, if you get in an argument with God and you win, you lose, just to be clear. <laughs> Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me. Come on, church folks, finish it. Jesus called Peter Satan. 
Which that'll have some of you walking out here like, man, I feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> God used that guy? He can use me. One day after a sermon at, uh, at our church, a lady came rushing forward as if I gave one of those like old school Pentecostal altar calls, which I hadn't. She comes forward and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And she's like, I just want to come forward and tell you thank you. Every single week, you prove to me God truly can use anybody. I said, you're welcome. When I first became a pastor, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what do you think? He said, well, son, if you preach from your brokenness, you'll never run out of material. That's funny. You can laugh at that. That's funny. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, he introduces this idea that we have a living hope. Not a dead hope. Not an archaic hope. Not some urban legend kind of hope. No, we have a living hope that the God we serve is alive and well, seated on the throne, high and lifted up, in full control of all things. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other major world religion. Because you can travel the globe and you can visit monument after monument that hold the bones of every major world religion's leader except ours. Right? You can't find ours. Because our God is so cool, he borrowed a tomb. Like, who does that? Who's like, hey, can I borrow your casket for 72 hours? I'll have it back on Tuesday. God did that. He's so original. I love this guy. And Peter's saying, hey, we have a living hope that the same power that conquered death, hell, and the grave now resides in us. It's not contained to Galilee. It's not only found in a region called Jerusalem. No, you can have a hope that is locally grown. That for some of you, you discovered hope right here in Siren, Wisconsin. We have a living hope. And he comes to us then in chapter 2, verse 1. And he says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up. There it is again. In your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I mean, have you tasted God's goodness? Growing up, there was a statement people used to say, the proof is in the pudding. You ever heard that? I disagree with that. I think the proof in the pudding is in the tasting. Because chocolate pudding looks like a lot of things. It's not until you taste it that you're like, pudding. And for some of you, Christianity just looks like another religion. Until you taste the goodness of our God and you recognize there is no parallel. He is undescribable. And there is no peer to this God. He stands in a league of his own. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 4, as you come to him, as you come to him, because our God works by invitation, not by invasion. He's a gentleman. So as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's what I love about your church. 
This is what I've always loved about my parents' ministry. This is how they raised us as kids. That as followers of Christ, we exist to get shame off of people, not place more shame onto people. That's a, a trademark of your church. It says in verse 7, Now to you who believe, some of you are in this category, the stone is precious. But to those of you who do not believe, some of you are in that category, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's a lot of scripture, right? It's a pretty pregnant verse. And what you find is Peter wants us to know that depending on your belief system, you have one of two realities. Life is tough for the Christian and the non-Christian. Life comes with some pain, some confusion, filled with uncertainty. We all find ourselves faced with predicaments. But for the Christian. Life as you know it is as close to hell as you'll ever be. But for the non-Christian, life as you know it is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. Now that doesn't make us as Christians better than anybody. That just makes us better off. You should practice saying that. I'm not better than anybody. I'm just better off. That the grace we have in Christ doesn't give us the opportunity to look down on people. The grace we have in Christ gives us the obligation to look out for people. We're just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where we found the crumbs. That our God is good and, and he's faithful. And he loves all of us as if there was only one of us. I mean, that's the one you write down. That's the one you go home and think about, my goodness, Billions of people on this planet. And he is so invested into my life. It's as if I'm the only one here. He loves all of us as if there's only one of us. Another way of saying it, church, is the one who knows you the best. I mean, knows everything. The one who knows you the best loves you the most. This God that we have is outstanding. He's bigger than you think. He's brighter than you think. And church, I promise you, he's better than you think. And so Peter runs the gamut on these, these metaphors, which I think scripture is filled with metaphors in, in God's attempt to entice our imagination, to stretch our thinking, to, to get us to stop thinking so small within our faith. I think God is claustrophobic with a lot of the boxes people put him in. And you change the metaphor and it changes your imagination. It makes you think of things differently. Peter starts out and he says, like newborn babies, when you give your life to Christ, there's an infancy to your faith. Scripture at times seems to be splitting hairs. Tells us to put off childish ways. But then at other times it says, never lose your childlike sense of wonder. There's being childish and there's being childlike. Scripture wants us to know that childish is... Well, it's the things that are unproductive, the things that come at the expense of your joy, the things that rob you of your peace, the things that hurt your relationships, the things that bar you away from your purpose. Those are childish things. But childlike, that's a, that's a mentality. It's an approach to life. It's the posture within your faith that says, I believe my God is able, and I believe my God is willing, and I live with a sense of awe and wonder and an audacity in my faith. So I'm going to put off childish ways, 
but I'm going to remain childlike. Do you get the difference? And from there, he says, before you know it, you become a spiritual house. Well, Peter, what does that mean? Well, what it means is eventually you're able to inhabit and to facilitate the presence and the promptings and the activity of God within your life. In other words, what Peter is saying, before you know it, you can discern God's will because God's at home with you and you can sense his presence in your life. I think when it comes to conversations in the church world as a pastor, the the questions I get the most are revolving around God's will. A lot of people are like, I'm just confused what God's will is. I'm like, well, it's, it's actually pretty clear. God's will is not as confusing as we try to make it. You should know that there is God's general will for your life, and there's God's special will for your life. And we have this tendency to obsess over the special while neglecting the general. We want to try to master calculus without ever learning addition and subtraction, right? And it's recognizing, hey, I, I'm going to get familiar with God's general will for my life. What are all the things he told me to do, right? And the more familiar I am with his general will, the more confident I will be in discerning his special will. You tracking with me? Another way of thinking about it is if you discipline yourself in God's word, you will discover God's ways and you will be able to discern God's will. You discipline yourself in God's word, you discover God's ways, you'll be able to discern God's will. You'll step in the situation, you'll be like, God don't want me to do that. That's just not how God acts and operates, nor does he want me to do the same. And discernment is a tricky thing, right? Recently, my daughter Riley came home from school and I overheard this conversation she was having with my wife. She said, Mom, is this a bad word? And she, she stated the word. And Kristen said, yeah, babe, that's a bad word. In fact, that's a cuss word. Because when you send your kids to public school, you got to reprogram them every 24 hours, right? Let's, but we're raising up missionaries because you can't pull all the kids out of the darkness, right? you got to keep them in there and raise up some missionaries. And, and so we are, I appreciate that. My parents threw us to the wolves. Just go figure it out. <laughs> we think we got there, all right. And so my, 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 my wife is having this conversation with my daughter. And uh, Riley asked my wife, she says, well, Mom, how do I know which one's a bad word? Like, how do I know? So Kristen's explaining to her, and they get into the conversation about conviction and discernment. Now my wife is trying to explain this to an 11-year-old. And actually, at the time, she was 10. And at one point, Kristen says, you know, babe, sometimes conviction, like, you'll just, you'll just get, like, a yucky feeling inside. You'll just know, like, that one's not good. You'll just get a yucky feeling. And that was the conversation, and we didn't hear anything about it, didn't follow back up on it. Kristen and I kind of forgot about it. A few months go by, and we're with our friends, and their mom had come into town. Their mom shows up at the house, walks in the door, and she introduces herself to our kids. Hey, my name is, says her name. And uh, Riley right away goes, oof, don't say that. You shouldn't say that. And she's like, what do you mean I shouldn't say that? And Riley goes, that's a cuss word. And she's like, that's not a cuss word, that's my name. To which Riley was like, oof, it just gave me a real yucky feeling, right? (laughs) 
it's a work in progress, right? It, none of this stuff is instinctive to any of us. Like, so give yourself some grace, right? Give yourself a little bit of slack. Like no one masters these things initially, but I'm going to get better at disciplining myself in God's word, discovering God's ways also I can discern God's will. And then he says, before you know it, you go from a spiritual house to a royal priesthood. Well, what do you mean by that, Peter? In fact, that would have confused the original audience. Because up until the resurrection and the day of Pentecost, where the Spirit of God was imparted into man, church as they knew it, the tabernacle, it was a spectator sport. People would show up and they would just witness and observe the priest do what only the priest did. So the priest would do the work of God and everybody else would just show up and witness it. But Peter was saying, listen, now that the spirit of God resides in all of us, we all have a priestly mantle. So now we all get to do God's work. That you don't just have to spectate. Now you get to participate. Anyone find it amazing that God invites us to be a part of his story? Like he doesn't need us but he chooses to include us. There's such a tender mercy and extreme generosity on his part. And that has me thinking about the story of creation. Right off the bat, in the book of Genesis, we, we learn a lot about God and we learn a lot about ourselves. Most people, when they think of the story of creation, Adam and Eve, they think of the fall of man when sin entered the world. But church, you should know humanity did not begin in sin. Humanity began in perfection. And they were thriving. Which means you and I who were created in the same image and the same likeliness, you and I who are just descendants of Adam and Eve, share the same capacity and the same faculties to carry out remarkable levels of goodness in this life. It's amazing, like you have a capacity for goodness in your life that before you know it, you start to participate and do God's work. But then he says, you go from there and, and you become a living sacrifice. Which again, it's, Peter, what do you mean by that? I personally think Peter has the word wrong. I think he has bad grammar. Would you want to know someone who has bad grammar? Like I have bad grammar. I know this because I'm in a PhD program and I'm assigned to a publisher and both my editor and my advisor are like, you don't know how to speak correctly. You use the wrong words. Words are frustrating. Anyone else? They always tell me I use the word wrong. So I don't know which one it is. Is it ironic or is it a coincidence? Am I feeling nauseous or nauseated? Are we comprising something or composing something? Is it fewer? Is it less? Is it further? Is it farther? Words are weird. And don't even get me started on spelling. I got an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old boy trying to read, and there's all these, like, little rules that don't always apply. So, like, the other day we come across Pacific Ocean has three C's in it, and all three C's are pronounced differently. Pacific Ocean. I'm like, son, I don't know how to explain that. Moving forward, let's just call it Pacific Oaken. I don't know. Words are weird, right? 
I think when Peter says sacrifice, what he means is giving up something you love for something you love more. I can get on board with that. But my question, church, is if what you give is less than what you gain, is that a sacrifice? If what you give is less than what you gain, that's not a sacrifice. That's a profit. If what you give is less than what you gain, that's not a sacrifice, that's a profit. One time Jesus was walking out of his hometown. Scripture tells us that they were taking him for granted, didn't respect him. And as he leaves, there's a statement that says he was a prophet without honor in his own home. A prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, without honor in his own home. And I wonder, does he remain a prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, without honor in his own home? I think some of you may need to reappraise your faith. Some of you may need to look back at the profit loss statement on your life. Because you and I are filthy rich in Christ. We're filthy rich in Christ. Amen, church? That's what grace is. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. We don't lose. We only profit. What Peter's saying is, is you start to discern God's will. You start to do God's work. But then you reach a point in your maturity where you discover God's worth. Where you're like, oh my goodness. He's so much bigger, so much brighter, so much better than I thought possible. Has me thinking about shopping at Costco. Any Costco fans? Let's really create some tension in the room. Who's a Sam's Club fan, right? When I get to the cashier's checkout, the cashier always asks me the same question. Did you find everything you were looking for? And I'm always like, I wasn't looking for any of this. I showed up to get two chicken pot pies. I'm leaving with a pressure washer, three pillows, a stack of coloring books, and six months worth of strawberry jam. I wasn't looking for any of this. Some of you, you showed up to Adventure Church just to get an hour of free childcare. Some of you showed up because someone promised you free lunch. But then you start to bump into something. Then you start to realize, wait a second, all these things in Scripture are true. That he is the, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, meaning he finishes everything he starts. That he is our wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the prince of peace and an everlasting father. That he is a, a good shepherd and the true vine and the way and the truth and the life. He's the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. He's both the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. He's both my rock, my redeemer, and my shield. And what scripture says, he is also my reward. I mean, he holds eternity in the palm of our, his hands. He's all-knowing, always present, always available, all-powerful. He's our friend. You start to realize, oh my goodness, this God is so much better, so much greater than anything I ever thought I'd bump into in this life. And I could never, ever obtain this 
conjure it up or manufacture it on my own. I only have received it because of his goodness in my life. Which in closing, calls to mind a parable Jesus once told some folks. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field, sells everything and buys the field. Track with me. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure, sells everything and buys the field. This would have confused the original audience because they had a public policy and it was similar to the one we had in grade school. Similar to the one we used to quote at recess. Finders keepers, losers weepers. That was actually the policy. To which they would have pushed back on Jesus and they would have said, if he found the treasure, it's his. He doesn't need to buy the field. To which I think Jesus would smirk and shake his head. Exactly. See, this guy had this epiphany where he recognized there's no way I could ever afford this treasure. But I can afford to treasure it. I cannot afford this treasure. But I can afford to treasure it. And some of you, you may be new to Adventure Church, new to the story, grand opening, here you are, but you should know that this place exists because the people among you are treasuring their treasure. They recognize that what they give is far less than anything they've ever gained. They have only profited in their faith, amen. Adventure Church, do not take your foot off the gas. Don't settle, don't shrink back and just recognize that God is trusting you for some reason in this moment in time. And I believe he's gonna use your church as a blueprint and as a model for churches all around your state and all around our nation as to how do you advance the gospel in the current world that we live in. Treasure your treasure, amen. Can I pray with you? Dearly Father, God, I thank you for this wonderful church and these amazing people. God, we thank you for your goodness towards each and every one of us. Thank you for loving all of us as if there was only one of us. God, thank you for your grace. May we see you as the treasure you truly are. God, thank you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Have you ever walked away from the table and said, man, I'm full? And after you walk away from the table saying you're full, you want to take a nap? Man, I got a lot to digest, amen. Hey, I want to say thank you for being here. It's only just begun. And we are privileged to be your pastors, and I mean that. We are so grateful for every one of you. But as I said earlier, the carpenter said, it's only just begun. And my prayer for all of us is that we would enlist on being kingdom builders for his glory. It's not about me, it's not about my wife, it's not about CJ, it's not even about you. It's about him. And when we ever lose that, that's when this pastor will walk out these doors because it's all about J-E-S-U-S and nothing less. All about him. So this morning, 
this grand opening is a grand opening not only for you, but it's a grand opening to say, come Holy Spirit, we need you. Without him, we are nothing, but with him, we are powerful. We are locomotives that can do great things for God. And I want to encourage you, grow up and let God become big in your life. Amen. I want to pray over you, but in a moment, I want to ask you to do something. What we do here, if you're a visitor, how we bless our speakers is we bless them by an offering in the back, and the ushers will be in the back with the buckets. And if you would please write out a check to Adventure Church, and every penny will go to Pastor CJ, and that will go to him to help further his uh, ministry and what him and Kristen are doing and what God is doing in them and what he's getting ready to do, even greater things that is going to be happening in their lives. But I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of this pastor's heart, we love you. Will you stand now as we get ready to close? And I want to pray a blessing over you. As they always used to say, Lord, bless them and they're going in and they're going out. You got blessed in. But now let me bless you as you go out today. Can we do that? Father, thank you for today. Lord, we leave here full, full of your presence, your word, your spirit. God, not only just to retain it for ourselves, but God, to share it with others. And I pray that Adventure Church will get on board, Lord God, to touch one for Christ. That we will not just become inward people, selfish people about it's mine, mine, mine. But we will be givers and servers and doers for you. Bless each individual, God. I pray that your hand will be upon them. And even, Lord, bless this offering. Thank you for each giver. May we give generously, God, to the cause of the gospel. For we thank you, Father, for the day. Go with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Amen. God bless you. Make sure you get your popcorn and your cotton candy and in the front. God bless you. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If this message has encouraged you in any way, please consider giving to Adventure Church to help continue this ministry. Giving is safe and easy through our website at www.adventurechurchsiren.com. Thank you for your generous support.